Welcome to another episode of Talking Kotlin. Uh, my name is still Sebastian. I'm one of your hosts here at Talking Kotlin. Uh, if you're joining us on YouTube, you can see me wave right now. If you're consuming Talking Kotlin anywhere where it's available in audio form, hello to you too. And I am joined, as usual, by my wonderful co-host, Hadi. How are you, Hadi? I'm good, and I'm still called Hadi. Yeah. Isn't that great? <laughs> Sorry, that was the best joke I could come up with. I mean, Jesus, man. It's fine. Just, mind. Sti- just, just, just stick with the weather, maybe. I don't know. Give us the weather no. report. I no. hate the weather. I really, I, I'm sick of the weather here in Malaga, Spain. It's just disgusting. Like, I, you know, I was saying the other day, I'm like, if I wanted rain, I would have moved to Amsterdam, not this place. But oh uh, hopefully it'll cheer up a little bit and we'll get some summer soon. But anyway, enough about you. Let's talk about me. No, let's talk about our guests. We have two people today from Realm. Yeah, so yeah, I'm Klaus Rabeck and <laughs> from Denmark, Copenhagen, uh, and uh, joined uh, Realm one year ago. So um, doing Android Kotlin development. And I'm Nabil. I'm from London. Um, I used to work on Real on Realm pretty acquisition, uh, like six, seven years ago. And I work also with Klaus on the new Kotlin SDKs and previously on the Android Java SDK. It's really awesome to have you folks on the show. I actually, I, I wanted to tell you folks a, a little story because uh, back in the day when I was still in university, there was this, this course about mobile applications development. And it, it, like, it was like super prestigious and people said like, oh, it's, it's hard to get in and, and they ask you to build like a small demo application beforehand. And I did what, what any sane person would do, which is lock myself into a room for two weeks and learn like mobile app development from scratch, having never done it before. And at the point where I wanted to do a bunch of persistence, I got really worried. And I was like, there's so many new concepts to learn. And I found Realm, like my, my savior. And this was like, I don't know, five, six, seven years ago. I so I'm I'm really happy uh, that this circle has kind of closed again, and and that I get to talk to folks who who work on the, on this uh, on this great product. So uh, I assume that since I last touched it five years ago, it, some things may have changed a little bit. Do you want to maybe give us a, a small overview of of where Realm currently stands, and maybe also give people a bit of an introduction what it actually is? So I started with like a small pitch for people who are not familiar with Realm. Um, um, it is a mobile database originally designed for mobile from ground up. Uh, what I mean uh, by this is like the storage engine that we use is not SQLite or another rela- a rash- relational database um, engine. It is an object database engine, uh, so which gives it uh, a set of interesting characteristics. Um, so the database is written in C++, but we have a set of what we call SDKs or bindings that are available for iOS, Cocoa, Android, um, and then as well as .NET with Xamarin, um, JavaScript, with, we support React Native and Node.js. And recently we added Unity and Flutter. So this is the part what we call the local database. Um, it is free and open source. Um, but as a company pre-acquisition, we used to monetize by build, uh, by monetizing the synchronization aspect of the database, which allows you as a customer to sync the local database into a server, and then you have like um, automatic conflict resolution uh, and 
set of other enterprise features. And then we got acquired by Mongo um, in spring 2019. Um, and then we're still working um, under Mongo on the database, on the local in the sink. Um, so that's, that's the small history of Realm. Um, you said pre-acquisition, your model was to do the sync. You don't, don't do that anymore? We do, but uh, we used to build the entire server um, cloud um, infrastructure. And now we integrated part of MongoDB Atlas, which is the hosted version of Mongo on the cloud. So when you sync um, the database, it goes through um, a middleware that translates the uh, instruction coming from the sync protocol on the client and then emits them as changes to the document stored in Atlas, basically. Um, and also we revamped some of the uh, user authentication um, and uh, authorization around the users to integrate more with the whole holistic MongoDB product. Let's maybe imagine that, that we're just like an, an average um, Android developer and uh, maybe we've we've heard about other database solutions. We we know about Room. We know about like SQLite. Uh, can you contrast uh, Realm with with these implementations? Sure. Um, so, like I mentioned, um, we are an object database. So, the the first thing you notice when using Realm, if you have previously used other solution, is like the way you define your model. There is there isn't this. Um, what we call object impedance mismatch between the way you, you write your class as an object-oriented language, like a class person have a name and age, and then the next step, you try to match those property into uh, a tabular database, a column, um, and with relations, so, etc. With Realm, we take your object, um, depending on the SDK, you annotate this object, or you mark it with a marker interface, and then we generate a boilerplate code to, um, to talk to the runtime API, which is the real. So you don't have to do an extra step to define a schema, for instance, um, or, or to do uh, you know, matching between relationships. You have this natural idiomatic way of defining your model. Um, so that's, that's one aspect. The other aspect is like from the early stage when the storage engine was designed, um, it was behaving as a reactive database. In a sense, it gives you, when you do a query on a certain type, for instance, with filters and predicates, you can register a listener to give you um, not, not just a notification when this query has changed because uh, somebody wrote to the database, but it also gives you the fine grain notification of what changed. And this is particularly interesting in in context of UI in mobile, so you can do this animation between the cells more smoothly. So you don't have to pull in um, another dependent, dependency or framework to do this translation between, I'm trying to observe what the database is doing, uh, or what is the single source of truth, who is modifying the data. You can just use rail, you register a query on certain type, and then you get notification. So this was like a huge, difference. And this was even before Google came up with live data. That was designed from the beginning. Um, the other technical property uh, interesting, interesting in the context of mobile as well is what we call lazy loading and zero copy. 
So usually when you use SQLite or, or any, basically any ORM in Android is uh, built on top of SQLite, um, the database copy the data from the storage engine, which is SQLite to your data access object, DIO or DTO or whatever architecture you're using. So in Realm, actually, we have proxy object that um, use native C++ pointer to get you to read the data directly from the memory. So you don't copy the entire ob object graph and then give it back to the user. So that's the, the zero copy aspect. And especially when you're in the context of mobile, like especially in early days of Android, like memory constraints were very, very high. So the amount of memory you have per app is, is very low. So you cannot afford to copy too much object. And also it does, um, since we're using native memory, not the Java heap memory, we're putting less pressure into uh, the garbage collector. So we don't have this, before there was the, this, the GC in Android was like stop the world. Uh, so you have less GC poses um, and you have less pressure on the GC. So I, I have a question going back a minute because you know when I look, when I hear what you're saying about how uh, it works, Obviously, this is very focused on mobile, right? Because if you're doing any kind of other development, such as server-side or, or even desktop to an extent, you don't really want to be representing each screen with an object, right? You, you end up having even some people would go to the extent of uh, separating uh, their reads from their writes and having different queries there, right? Uh, but you said that you you used to sell this uh, Realm Sync, which would allow you to sync the, the local database with with a remote one. How difficult has it been to switch that to use MongoDB? I mean, given that you know MongoDB is a document database, and you're talking about objects, I'm assuming that it's not that difficult. But was it a lot of work? It's an interesting question. It was a lot of work just to implement Sync because. Uh, it's a hard computer science problem in general to do sync correctly. Um, so we spent at least two years uh, roughly working on it uh, to come up with an algorithm that, that gives you the automatic conflict resolution and, um, and is efficient, etc. And then the, the next phase were how we integrate this with a document database, which is not an object database, because document is a subset, subset of the, an object. Uh, so what we end up doing is building a translation layer. Um, it takes the the uplog or the change log of the operation you do locally on your mobile, like you want to insert uh, a new field or modify field or delete. We take this uplog and then translate into uh, a change set that is meaningful to a document database. Um, so that was the part that we were working on right after the acquisition. Um, so now it is available uh, for general general public um, product. So, uh, and it, it works actually in two ways. You can also translate from a document database into an object database. And for instance, we had to come up with new types. For instance, Mongo have this embedded document, so you can do um, uh, like some links or store a whole document in a more efficient way because of locality of the data. So now we have this embedded object as well in, in the um, object database, which is the client. So 
let's let's maybe uh, do do our show's name uh, true and and t dive a little bit deeper into the the connection between uh, Kotlin and Realm. So uh, Klaus, as I understand it, you folks now have something new, and that that's called Realm Kotlin. Can you tell a little bit more about this? Yeah. So um, yeah, as you say, uh, Realm Java is is old. <laughs> Or has been there for for a number of years, and um, the whole Android uh, sort of uh, architecture and environment has been uh, uh, going over a lot of phases. And so um, right now we are trying to ramp up uh, or try try to respin a, a version of the SDK where we sort of focus on the latest uh, and greatest uh, architectural changes in development cycle for mobile. Like we have uh, transitioned into all these uh, unidirectional data flows and all this, which has been with the with Realm and its live object has been a bit hard to maintain and 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 keep up with the where the Android development uh, framework is going. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's a great new opportunity to to try and uh, do another round or. Uh, do it in a, di a slightly different way than first time. Yeah. So just just the, to do like why we're trying to come up with this new SDK is like uh, we did like retrospective of what did work well and not, and we found that the memory model we use at the time um, for concurrency uh, is based on thread confinement, which should sound similar for Kotlin native. It's like it's either shared or uh, mutable. Um, because we had some constraints on the C++ level for, um, for uh, like some of the data structure were not thread safe. So we had to reflect this in, in the binding by choosing a thread confinement model, which translates in your usage of the API that you cannot copy some of the uh, uh, object or the realm itself between threads. And then there is this wave of reactive framework that have caught up like two, three years ago with RxJava and then Flow and Kotlin. And then people started using those more, more of in their apps. And then they're trying to move the, the result of the queries of the realm between you know, threads or coroutine context. And this sometimes created friction because people don't understand uh, sometimes why we're doing this uh, memory model constraint. So we thought, how can we fix this and then keep the other interesting property of realm like lazy loading and zero copy, et cetera? encryption. Um, and then it was difficult to integrate this into the existing Realm Java um, SDK because it was one, an API breaking change and also an architectural behavior change. It's a massive change when you move from this, uh, the, the existing model to the new one where, where we want to uh, some kind of freeze the element you interact with similar to what Kotlin native is doing, so you can pass them between threads. That was the first um, thing that triggered us to think about writing it from scratch. And then the other thing is like, we wanted also to support uh, Java desktop uh, with JVM. So we thought multi-platform is maturing enough. Um, so why not rebuild the library around uh, multi-platform to write it as a multi-platform library? That, that was the main 
idea behind this new framework. So at this point, at this point, what platforms do you support with uh, with this Kotlin multi-platform implementation of Realm? So far, um, so the, the 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 new so there's two things. There's the Java SDK, which has a thin layer of Kotlin compatibility that is designed in production today only for Android, right? The new SDK we're working on uh, started last September is uh, targeting now KMM, so that's iOS, um, support also macOS and, and Android, and also JVM uh, desktop. I mean. uh, JavaScript is not included because the storage engine itself uh, uses um, some system calls that are not easily translatable into the JavaScript world. And we, we first need to compile the storage engine into WebAssembly and then try to think about how we can integrate it. Um, as a JavaScript target. And we also have like existing JavaScript binding doing great work. So we thought we should focus on the KMM use case because that's where the segment of most of the developer are and then try to expand to JVM and then maybe in future consider JS as well. Right, but why JVM? I mean, you know, given what I hear so far, this is kind of heavily focused on mobile, right? Why would you want to expand to JVM? But that's a good question. Actually, the first client we had were Zynga, if you remember them from the days, um, gaming company. We're powering their uh, platform server-side platform with Realm. So the uh, the first client we had actually were you we were used on the server side. Um, but we we were designed optimized for a mobile just for um, because we were developing the the startup around the era of when the iPhone launched, and there is more opportunity, opportunity to go into the mobile space than targeting like the backend and server side. Although the database is, is, works fine on the server side, but it has some optimization like, um, like we do in bit packing to reduce the size of uh, the data that takes in mobile, et cetera. So all these optimization are cool, but they're heavily optimized for mobile, but the database also works on the server side and on the desktop actually, we have a product called Realm Studio, which allows you to inspect the database and then modify and play with the schema. That is a desktop app using Realm on desktop. Um, and actually use React, React and um, Electron on desktop with Realm. You can say in relation to why JVM. So uh, yeah, there's actually not that uh, many things tying it to Android, except of actually grabbing the context here and then. So. So there's no specific bindings to why it should be on Android uh, only. So for testability and also, yeah, so just to be able to run it in JVM, it's not that uh, big a step. Uh, I've, it's it's not uh, out there yet. So <laughs> maybe regretting that, uh, saying that, but, but there's not that many <laughs> uh, obstacles just getting there and with the ability to run all your tests on, uh, on local JVM instead of having to run it through emulators or real devices, stuff like this. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, so internally we're using JVM targets for our um, compiler test and for other integration tests in the multi-platform project, but we're not exposing it as a public target we support yet, right? Um, okay, so I assume that a lot of the folks listening in on Talking Kotlin are Android developers just because that's the, the majority of, of the people using uh, using Kotlin, right? So as an Android developer, uh, 
do I also get benefits from this new implementation uh, as compared to the the old version that that only has like a, a thin wrapper? Uh, I'm I'm thinking integrations with maybe the ecosystem, uh, coroutines. I don't know what what else you folks have have in store there. Yeah, so like I mentioned, like the 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 major thing that pushed us to to work into the new SDK is to write a Kotlin first SDK and then support the different targets via multi-platform. And so we come up with a design document to see how we could integrate with various frameworks like Flow, Coroutine, Rx, et cetera. So that will be the first benefit for you if you're using already real JavaScript. Like you don't have this the previous threading model um, that people find like um, constraining in, in, in their app. So that's the first thing. The second thing is like we, we got rid with a lot of um, uh, layer or um, tools that we were using to generate this proxy class I talked about that interface between your model and the C++ database. So we got rid of bytecode manipulation and KAPT to do annotation processing. And because they are super uh, relatively, say, slow in the context of Kotlin for obvious reasons, um, for people who are, are using those tools. So we moved to use the compiler plugin in Kotlin. So this, the definition of the schema will be simpler. You don't have to annotate it with Realm object as we used to do in previously. And the, the compile time will be um, uh, relatively fast compared to using an annotation processor. So that, these are like the immediate uh, benefit, but the long-term is architectural Benefits like you'll be easily interfacing with flow coroutine or Java in your app and be easily passing object between threads. So let's stay on the whole plugin aspect there a little bit. You know, a lot of people when they look at frameworks that are heavy in annotations, mm -hmm. they inter they they uh, they kind of say you know it's always magic, right? It's too much magic going on because I'm I'm annotating some things and there's I don't know what's happening under the covers. And now you're saying, well, you don't even need to annotate anymore. This awesome plugin architecture is going to do everything for you. Yes. How, how are the users receiving that? What's the feedback like there? So so far, we just released like a couple of months the the first alpha like. People like the the first feedback we had like it's it's definitely easy to use, uh, but we didn't gather enough feedback to be honest to to make a decision to revert back to annotation, which I, I don't think we want to, just because I feel uh, like annotation has been abused in general in the Java ecosystem. They are just meant to annotate data, but they're heavily used now to. Uh, becomes the logic in your source file when you stack annotation. Uh, but we were doing this because we had a technical limitation in, in the previous repo where we had to use an annotation processor to do this. Now we're just using a marker interface to say your class person, if you want to persist this, you just uh, inherit from uh, interface realm object. And that's the only constraint we put on your model to be able to work in the realm context. Um, so yeah, I think we're heading more into this, uh, you know, interface rather than annotating. All right. So as we, we, you said they abused 
annotations in the Java world. Let's hope we don't start abusing plugins in the Kotlin world, right? Yeah, that, that's that's a good point because our learning, if if we can share it, like for any anyone who are planning to write a library on multi-platform, uh, is don't be tempted by doing too much magic with the Kotlin plugin because of two things. First thing is like it's still not documented and stable, so you'll end up doing a lot of you know uh, refactoring and trying to find out what what is working or not. The second thing is like it reduces the readability and debuggability of your code. So if you're trying to if you put too much logic and you generate too much logic into the compiler plugin, you your users will, will not be able to debug clearly what's going on uh, or step in into your logic. So what we did is like we, we reduced the usage of the compiler plugin to only solve the issue of the, the limitation of Kotlin native APIs versus JVM. So for instance, we, we, we don't have reflection, full reflection in Kotlin native. So we had to come up with this, some, some logic to, to do like um, create instance from class literals, which is not available yeah. on Kotlin native, but it's available on JVM. The other issue is like uh, how to wire the call from the backing field to the database. That is not possible. You can you cannot do it something else. But we tried really to reduce it to the minimum uh, and do do the rest on the library. So as a user, you can debug it easily. Actually, yeah. I mean, the reason I asked partially is because we we have kind of the same dilemma now in, in Ktor, right? We're we're looking at how to change one aspect of it. And instead of having to annotate classes with two annotations, maybe just move to a plugin uh, using the plugin. Um, so, but yeah, anyway. Meta programming is the hot stuff these days, <laughs> it would seem. Yeah, <laughs> yeah like, uh, like, like another point about the compiler plugin is like if, if you just need to generate code, uh, you should consider using KSP from Google or Arrow Meta because they're, they're good in this kind of scenario, use cases. Uh, don't try to uh, do an IR transformation to just you know, uh, put in some logic or generate code. Uh, try to use code gen because you can still debug the gener generated code versus modifying the IR, uh, which is more risky, um, less robust, I would say. So was was picking Kotlin multi-platform kind of the the natural choice for you folks, or did you evaluate a, a bunch of other technologies beforehand and then landed on on Kotlin multi-platform in the end? I think it was uh, it was the only choice to be honest, <laughs> because we already have like SDK other SDKs um, doing Xamarin and React Native and Flutter. So for us as Android developer, it was the the same you know, thing to do. Um, it, it seems like a win-win because we wanted to benefit from rewriting the SDK, but why not doing it as a multi-platform so you can benefit from supporting as a side effect Java uh, desktop, right? Uh, or yeah. we wanted also to see how much we could capture from people doing multi-platform by supporting Coco, you know, um, Apple frameworks. But we also like uh, like Realm being a persistent uh, layer, so so you we fit well into the Kotlin multi-platform ecosystem of uh, su supplying a building block, just like a Ktor for networking and stuff like this. Whereas 
other other multi-platform frameworks targeted it differently from from the UI side and and down. So it 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 fits nicely providing this building block uh, for building common you are common uh, intermediate or business layers. Uh, so so does new realm Kotlin SDK expose any kind of API to uh, let's say Swift or Objective C as well, or is it really intended to be used from Kotlin code and then uh, through through some some abstractions that the developer brings themselves uh, be integrated with the platform? Yeah, that's a good question. I think we thought about it a little bit and see what in which layer we want to position ourselves. And I think the narrative for a developer using real multi-platform is to use it in the shared module to abstract the access to his database. So it doesn't make too much sense to try to expose something specific to Swift or, or Android, um, obviously. So the, the API is designed to, to be like language agnostic because we try to also make the transition from people coming from real Java to the new real Kotlin easier. Uh, so they can find the same concept, like how to begin a transaction, how you insert a real uh, object into a real persistent blah, blah, blah. Or query, for instance. The only particular thing we had to make like a trade-off is like Realm historically tried to, to be as close to the platform language as possible. What I mean by this is like, if you take the .NET SDK, it used link. Uh, as a way of querying the database. If you if you give, if you use the Cocoa, it use NS predicate. If you use Java, uh, it use like a Fluent Builder API to do query. So the only thing that's going to be relatively a trade-off in the scenario is like the query language uh, we had to pick up um, that should feel like natural for people doing Android and 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 Cocoa. Um, and then we end up using like. Um, an internal query parser to expose like a, a text-based query language, um, which somehow is similar to NS predicate, but slightly different. So that's the only uh, trade-off uh, we had to consider at the time. So why did you pick NS predicate as kind of the um, as the base for your implementation? Did you find that that was a, a particularly uh, elegant solution? Um, it fitted well with the, the query parser we had on the engine at the time, uh, because historically the engine um, was built in C++, but the first SDK that, that was exposed is, is iPhone and Cocoa, obviously, for historical reasons. So that, that was the, the, um, the history. But for Java, we built on top of it like a fluent API to do query. Um, but like it's, it's simple enough. Um, to pick up, uh, it doesn't have anything Apple specific. It just the syntax is expressive enough um, that you could use it in like an agnostic way. So, what's on the roadmap for you folks? I mean, where are you taking this next? So, we want like the first step is like we want to get as much feedback uh, regarding this new architecture and this new Kotlin as possible. We have people like trying this to, for instance, migrating from an existing SQL solution to this. And then the next step is like, like I mentioned, we want to support JVM uh, as soon as possible, um, just to allow people to create like desktop apps. Um, so you can see like an added value compared to the previous SDK is also to finalize the implementation of this new architecture uh, of this new concurrency model. 
um, so people can see the difference when they integrate this in with with their um, reactive frameworks. Uh, so we're working on this uh, as we speak. Um, yeah, and we have there is a, a Mongo Live uh, conference this summer, and we want to push uh, something uh, like a beta um, without the sync capability. We're still focusing on the local database. Um, so there, so. So, so now that, that people have kind of a, a bit of an idea about uh, where, where Realm Kotlin is and it's going, do you have uh, particular things that you would like the community to pri provide feedback for maybe uh, or, or give their input or just try things out? Maybe something you want to shout out? Yeah, so we have the repo. It's, it's uh, realm-kotlin on GitHub. So you can try the simple example and give us feedback. We also published, a, a, we have our design document publicly available so people can uh, it's linked on the repo so you, you can like see what are we planning to work on and if you have like feedback please do comment on it it's uh, publicly available um, and we take a look at it uh, so we had a lot of feedback um, for instance about moving people trying to persuade persuade us to move to, to this frozen object uh, kind of API so that's cool to see well, um, then I think uh, folks have uh, a, a good starting point for if they want to explore Realm Kotlin a bit more. Uh, I think we're out of time for today, though. So uh, I'd like to very much much say uh, thank you for coming on the show, you two. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Yep. Thank you for coming. See you around. Take care. Bye-bye. Take care. Well, if you are still uh, listening or watching, that means that this episode hopefully hasn't been uh, half bad. So uh, remember to like, subscribe, and what should they not forget? That's right. It's not working. Oh, my God. Oh, my kid broke my bell. <laughs> well, to fix okay. Hadi's bell, make sure to... Yeah, to fix Hadi's yeah. bell, make sure to hit the bell next to our yeah, subscribe button, I guess. Yeah, Until make sure you don't time. miss the next one and see you around. Take care. Bye-bye. <laughs>